All right, guys, welcome back to another little epi of PBK Perspectives. Um, I'm joined by, so I, I had St. Wave on already, who you guys have saw. That was definitely one of my favorite Catholic accounts. I have definitely someone who's up there as well. Um, I'm joined by Draco here. His his at is uh, shop.draco. I'm going to actually post some stuff. I'm going to post some pictures. I'm going to post some stuff up here. We're getting better with the editing, and we'll show it off. But Draco, thanks for coming on, dude. Of course, of course. It's my pleasure. So we're going to get into a lot of stuff. Obviously, like we always do, we're going to get into a story. But I do have a few icebreaker questions for Draco. Um, I'm going to do some ones that we haven't done before. I like to do the, the if you had three movies, you know, for the rest of your life, what would you watch? I'm not going to ask you that one, even though I'm curious. Uh, yeah. I, I, here's my first one, though. Uh, if you could only eat one type of cuisine for the rest of your life, what would it be? And I mean, like, it doesn't be one dish, but it's like, are we talking okay. Italian, Mexican, whatever? I would probably have to, I mean, I'm from SoCal, so I probably would have to say Mexican food. Um, but my personal favorite dish is just like a good old beef stew. That's <laughs> nice just my, beef my stew. Nice beef stew is, is my classic, <laughs> but I mean, you can't go wrong with Mexican food. That's awesome. Yeah. Okay. All right. I like that. Um, and then I have another one. If you could have any car, car of your dreams, what is that? Now that one's a little tough. I would probably say like a, like a 1970s like Porsche. Oh, wow. Like, That's the one. Yeah. I like That's that one a lot. I feel like going like with a Rolls Royce is an easy answer, but like, it is. nah, I want to, yeah, I, I like, I like the vintage stuff. aspect too. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, the vintage aspect. I would go like a, with an old range or, um, man, the old Broncos. They're un mm -hmm. they're unreal. Those would be my probably choice. And then here's my last one. Your favorite show of all time. It's Tuffy. Ooh, okay. The, you can name whatever comes to your mind. Uh, we'll see. My answer might be a little cringe, and that's why I'm hesitant. I'm actually... This is going to out me by, with a lot of the Catholic community. I'm actually a fan of Japanese anime. Okay. Uh, <laughs> so I would have to probably pick something from one of those. But I think it's best, maybe it's best I, I keep this answer private because the more I say, I feel like I'm just canceling myself. <laughs> okay, no worries. I, if it makes you feel better, I watched One Punch Man and I loved it. But other than that, oh, I haven't done it. Yeah, there's some great stuff right there. Okay, uh, all right. I'll, 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 how about this? I'll, show, I'll share some of my favorite shows and then we'll act like... Mm -hmm. I didn't. You asked me the question. Sure, sure, sure. Yeah, okay, yeah. Okay. Um, let's go with uh, comedy. Is a is a real hard tie between friends and the office per use. I'm a basic boy in that sense. Yeah, um, I feel like I'm uh, yeah. I mean, it's just it's hard not to. And then for um, let's go with more serious. It has to be Money Heist. I don't know if you've watched Money Heist. Have Unreal. not seen. No, it's on Netflix though. Yeah, beware of a little agenda, though. You know what I mean? Like, it's season four, and they realize they had to throw a gay person in there, you know? That's one of those kind yeah, of things. Of and then, uh, other than that, if we did, like, a throwback, maybe, like, you know, I'm going to go with wholesome vibes. Maybe it's, like, uh, okay, I have to throw Everybody Hates Chris in there. That's that's an awesome oh, one. Classic. Classic. And, yeah, we'll leave it at that. We'll, we'll leave it at Everybody Hates Chris. That's a good one. Beautiful. Okay. All right, Draco. So why don't you just go through a little bit of your story, kind of how you got to where you are today? Sure. Yeah. I mean, uh, I'm Draco. I, uh, shoot, how did I get to where I am today? Um, you know, cause obviously I'm here to talk about my, my, uh, company, but, uh, it actually 
began kind of funny. So I don't have like any kind of background in like art or design. Um, I was raised in a family where we do, we're mainly focusing on like athletics and stuff like that. Um, but when I was uh, 17, I used to play a, a lot of basketball, a lot of volleyball. I uh, got injured really bad. I actually broke my back uh, and I herniated a disc. And uh, at this part of my life, it was like a huge shocker for me because I had uh, had this plan in my head that, you know, God's uh, path for me in life was going to be like, oh, I'm going to be an athlete. And then maybe I can play with like a crucifix on and I can try to like evangelize through that. Right. It's very like low tier logic, very like 17 year old. Um, and this happened to me and it was kind of like a, I had like a huge identity crisis. Um, and I had a lot of siblings who were like D1 athletes or like we're going to be professional athletes and stuff. And I was like, dude, like I'm the youngest of five. Uh, what am, what am I going to do? Right. And uh, all that time I had allotted to like athletics and to uh, like training um, was now free and open. And uh, something that's kind of unusual uh, was that uh, when I was a little kid, I had a hobby and my hobby was to do origami. Um, I did a lot of origami all day, every day, just folding constantly. And I got back into it. And it became something like uh, that I would share it with my family and make them things, show them things. And eventually my uh, grandfather pulled me aside and he was like, uh, Draco, what, what are you doing? And I'm like, what do you mean? I'm just folding, just making stuff. And he's like, uh, like, why, why aren't you, like, what are you going to apply for in college? And at this point, you know, I'm like a senior in high school. I'm like, I don't know. I'm going to uh, do business. going to be, you know, something like that. Um, and he's like, you need to do architecture. You're an architect. And I was like, oh, what do you mean? Like, I don't know what you're talking about. And then he goes on to tell me uh, that, like, on his side of the family, the men had been architects for, like, generations. And I was like, this is entirely news to me. And after I watched, like, one YouTube video, I was completely sold. Like, five minutes, I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm going to be an architect. I'm going to do this. But I had no experience in it whatsoever. So, you know, freshman year comes along. I, I got into architecture school at USC. Um, I was really nervous because all of my peers were like ninth generation architects or like artists and they are like, you know, they can do like fine art paintings and stuff. And I'm like sitting there like, I can fold you something pretty cool, you know, but other than that, I didn't know, you know, much. And uh, I actually uh, converted to Catholicism when I was 18 and I, uh, I wasn't, you know, USC, it's got a big party scene, right? And I'm not, I wasn't really into partying. I'm a very extroverted guy, but I just feel really uncomfortable in those kinds of environments. So uh, what we used to do instead is me and my buddies, after hours, once classes are over, we would sneak back into the architecture school because we have like a little ID pass because it's 24-hour access to our studios. But at the time, it also gave us access to the rest of the building. Um, so we would sneak back in and I'd go down into the basement where there's actually a lecture hall. And my buddies and I used to go into the lecture hall, connect our laptops into the HDMI and then project movies, shows, whatever we wanted. And we used to sneak back into our studios, grab our art supplies and grab like our clothes that didn't fit us anymore or like old stuff or things we got from Goodwill. And we actually would pull the desks in from the studio into the lecture hall. 
and we would treat it like arts and crafts hour. This would happen on Fridays, on Saturdays, on spring break. We would literally paint on clothes. We would cut clothes and resell them back together. My buddy's got an embroidery machine, and that's kind of what spiraled like everything for me was the embroidery machine. Um, and this was how we spent every week. And we would, you know, everybody had a turn to watch this show or that show or this movie. We were like, guys, I found this new artist. And uh, we got that idea because there was this dude visiting LA who was this like young artist who got sponsored by Cartoon Network to um, like make uh, screen printed like cool streetwear clothes with um, like characters on them and stuff. And we went and we met him. He had like, you know, 100,000 followers online. And we were like, dude, this guy's incredible. And we met him and he was like, oh yeah, if you guys have a shirt, like I'll screen print something for you. And so we gave him a shirt and he printed onto it and it was awesome. But we left being like, we all looked at each other. We're like, dude, we could like start doing this, you know, like, why don't we start doing this? And so spring break of my freshman year was the day that we first started like making clothes in the basement. Uh, before we were just kind of pulling shenanigans, like, you know, playing video games, watching shows, goofing around. And we came up with this little like, uh, creative entity that we called the summer session art associates and the idea was that in any break summer winter fall whatever it is um, we would meet up and we would all work our, our own little creative brands and projects uh, and it's amazing because all of my buddies like uh all of their brands have kind of taken off uh and they're like god bless them uh and that's when i came up with this idea of draco um and my, I made my very first Draco shirt, um, and we kept doing this all the time, and it was it was amazing. And um, that's all to to give the foundation for the the creation of my brand. But it actually wasn't until the winter of my sophomore year when we were having a, what we called the winter session for the summer sesh, where um, I made my first stained glass embroidered sweater. Yeah. And so that's my, my whole little, you know, upbringing story of how that came to be. Dude, yeah. that is unreal, man. You guys literally created the Dead Poet Society of like USC architecture. And that is the coolest thing. <laughs> it is cool, man. I mean, like that would have been a group. I, I mean, I wasn't going to get into USC or architecture, but like that would have been sick. If I was there, dude, that would have been a sick group to hang out with. Okay. So there's a lot there. There's yeah. definitely a lot there to go off of that I want to dive yeah. into. Um, yeah. But I do at least want to know, because you said you, you converted at 18. Mm -hmm. So if we could talk a little bit about, like, what was your childhood kind of like? What were your, you know, parents, if they had faith, whatever it was, like that family mm -hmm. environment, school environment, yeah. and then just kind of like what made you convert? And then, mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah, well, um, you know, like, uh, there's five kids in my family, and I'm the youngest of five, right? Um, and my father, uh, he came from very like humble beginnings. Uh, and he, uh, he was, uh, raised Protestant. Um, uh, but he had a really, really strong, uh, sense for prayer. And like I said earlier, my family is kind of was, was always really about like athletics and training and sports and all of this stuff. And my siblings were all incredible athletes, you know? Um, and whenever we had any kind of tournament or game or practice, he always pulled us aside and we always made sure we prayed before. And, uh, my father is an incredible public speaker and his prayers always like meant a lot to us. And so we would pray a lot as a family. 
We weren't really going to church very often. We maybe would go on Christmas, even rarer on Easter. Uh, and we all went to, my siblings all went to this small um, private Protestant, it was actually Quaker, um, middle, elementary and middle school. Uh, and I was maybe in sixth or seventh grade. And, you know, I really appreciate my education in uh, a lot of ways because they familiarized us with the Bible, right? Um, and so I had read through the Bible legitimately. I mean, you know, the Protestant Bible for maybe more times. Um, and I had been a very accustomed with the stories. And, and I found in myself, like, this sense of, like, I truly I truly believed in in this this Christ figure, but in my Bible classes, in my uh, theology courses, I was always finding myself conflicted with the things that were being taught to us and and how they related to the Bible, even at, even at an early age, and um, it put a a place in my heart of um, skepticism, right? Not really about Christ himself, but kind of about like, wait, wait, wait. Like at any time we can tell Christ that we're sorry, he forgives us, right? So, but what about like, what about the wrong we've done, right? Like my, I remember specifically, I had this teacher um, and she told us, you know, it doesn't matter who you are or what you do, Christ like can always forgive you. And I was like, yeah, I buy that. I buy that. And she was like, you could be on your deathbed and say like, Jesus, I'm sorry, I love you and be saved. And I was like, okay. And then she was like, like, it doesn't matter if you're like a murderer or like a rapist or a mob, like, uh, like kingpin. These were the actual examples she had given us when I'm like 12. And I was like, okay. She's like, it doesn't matter if you kill somebody that day. If you say, Jesus, I'm sorry, he will forgive you. And I was like, and you go to heaven. And I was like, I'm sitting there. I'm like, I mean, that sounds really nice, but my issue with that was, well, then where's the consistency? So I don't really have to, like, I can just rely on any moment, any time I say, I'm sorry, I'm forgiven. Made me really question things, really doubt. And it was within a few years that my um, older brother uh, went to a Catholic high school. And we're Spanish. Um, and, you know, my father kind of raised us all with, like, this, you know, sense of, like, cultural pride, you know, where we came from, our ancestors. And... Um, my brother learned about Hanipro um, Sierra and the California missions. We're from California, and we had had visited the missions many times. Uh, and he he was talking about this 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 Hinipro Sierra person who was unfamiliar to me at the time, and he said like, "Dad, I was with my father," uh, and, and he's like, "Dad, Drake, like um, this guy, he was Spanish, and he he brought the faith to California. That's why we have." You know, everything, if you haven't been to California, all the cities, all the towns are Spanish names, right? He's like, that's why you, we, we were from a small town called Yorba Linda. That's why you're from Yorba Linda or San Juan Capistrano or like Los Angeles or, you know, San Francisco. And he also talked to us about this, uh, about miracles and this individual named uh, Padre Pio. And he showed us photos of his stigmata. And I'm, you know, 13, 14 at this time. And my father and I are just silent. We're like, right? There's not much doubt going to go on when you're looking through the holes of a guy's hands and you're saying he lived a full life uh, with these injuries. He bled every day. There's that. And then he showed us Our Lady of Guadalupe. And he said, Dad, Drake, 
look, they have microscopic images of her eyes. You can see the people in the room when, like when uh, 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 Juan Diego, like, like the miracle occur occurred and we're looking at this and the tessellations on her cloak and and the color is elevated from the garment and it's been bombed it's been burnt and yet it still survived and my father and i are all listening and we're just like like this there's something very real and tangible that i had not been able to find in my upbringing with protestantism that this idea that miracles and saints and holy people, uh, angels and demons were the, a thing of the past. They existed in the Bible times, but the Catholic Church was saying, no, these people and this exists now, maybe even more now than ever, right? Which to me, I, I'm like, this is, this is something. And my, my brother quickly started uh, attending mass, started taking me. He used to actually trick me. He used to tell me, um, Drake, you want to go get some food? And I was like, yeah, like, I'm hungry. He's like, okay, cool, let's go. You want to get in and out? And I'm like, yeah, I want to get in and out. He goes, okay. And he would go into his car, and he's like, we need to make a stop first. I'm like, okay. He pull up to the church, and we make, I'd, be, I'd, be, I'd be pissed, right? Uh, and he would make me sit through Mass, and then we'd get in and out after, right? And I was like, dude, like, it's been, like, five hours. Like, you know, what the heck is going on? Um, but he kept doing it. And sometimes for practice, I'd have to drive up to Los Angeles for volleyball, and he would have to drive me, and I'd fall asleep in his car, and he'd put on, like, Catholic radio, or Catholic answers at the time. And I remember I would have dreams of what they were talking about, and I'd wake up, like, in a daze, and they'd be talking about what I was just dreaming about, and I'd be like, you know, what is this? And then my brother went to college. He also went to USC, and uh, he went through RCIA there. Uh, and I watched, I was 15, and I'm never going to forget this, I watched him receive uh, his baptism, his confirmation, his first Holy Communion on the Easter Vigil at midnight at USC at the Crusoe Catholic Center. And they put him in this all-white garment. It was completely candlelit. They had Gregorian chant. They had the organ playing. They dumped him in this pool of holy water and they pulled him out and they poured oils on him. And as I'm watching this, every time the priest talked about the sacraments, the candles were like flickering and there was just this silence and this power. And I, it was that moment that I was like, I, I, I need to, this is real. Like I need to become Catholic. Like I need this. Um, and it was when I was um, 17, turning 18, me, uh, my father and my mother uh, all went through RCIA together, and uh, this was this was 2016, and then in 2017 we all were baptized, confirmed, received our first holy communion, and then the preceding year, two of my three sisters uh, went through RCIA, and in 2018 I got to see my two of my sisters become Catholic, and now out of the seven of us, um, six of us are now Catholic. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> that is that is insane. I was just kind of expecting, like, yeah, you know, we were cradle Catholics, and then this and that, or whatever it was. No, no, yeah, yeah, yeah. This yeah. insane story where somehow your brother went to a Catholic high school and actually wanted to be Catholic instead of the complete yeah. opposite. I know. Catholics. Can you, can you believe that? Can you I believe that? That's the one that sticks with me the most. I think out of this whole thing, that and then uh, somehow yeah. you're at like a Newman Center and they're doing Gregorian chant, which is out of this world too. 
Um, yeah. There, yeah, there's a, a ton there. I'll have, okay, we'll start with, in your kind of conversion, which is really interesting, especially that it's with your whole family, but were these things, were these, I imagine there's a lot of things you guys had to wrestle with, right? Like you said that your dad being very prayerful and, and um, seemed like he was pretty strong in his faith. And I'm sure like when there's things about praying to our lady or whatever it may be, right? The Eucharist, there's so yep. many teachings that are hard to, to accept yep. or understand. So, I mean, what are some of those for you? And like, how did you guys kind of get or go about like either overcoming them or accepting them or whatever it may be? No, of course, of course. You know, uh, I was this, this Protestant upbringing, they taught us, you know, the Catholic Church was evil. They told us, you know, they prayed to saints. They worship Mother Mary. You know, she's just a lady. They would tell, say all of these, you know, things. As, I, as I'm, you know, <laughs> wearing Mother Mary on my chest now, a, a, I'm sure a previous, a previous Draco would have been uh, confused by that. You know, another, like, um, I mean, an easy one is my family was just very inconsistent about Sundays, about worshiping on Sundays. And now we're obligated to go to Mass. You know, it's no longer like a... And uh, a nice concert I get to go to, but like a, a real commitment. Um, uh, you know, learning about things like uh, uh, like uh, in vitro fertilization and the Catholic Church's stances, because actually I have uh, members of my family who have a lot of physical disabilities and um, aren't able to have their own children and stuff, right? And so uh, for me and my family, these were some questions we we had to ponder: Who are the saints? Who who's our lady, like, what is this? Uh, but I mean, the, what kind of drew me to allow my barriers to kind of open up is just the, the immense beauty that exists within the Catholic Church. It's just so unexplainable, so awe-inspiring, so like earth, like like just completely flips my world upside down, um, and. It took me quite some time to come to terms with like the, the devotion to Mother Mary because I started realizing that m many times I pray more often to Mother Mary than I do to you know Christ some days, and I was like, well, you know, if I'm, I, I felt conflicted about that, a little confused, but it, it, it took me to kind of uh, grapple with this idea that I am um, not prayer is not worship. Um, prayer is, is, is communicating. Prayer can be worship, but not all prayer is, right? I can, I can pray and I can speak to a saint in the same way that I would ask my own brother who's sitting in the same room as me, hey, man, I'm having a hard day. Can you pray for me, right? I can reach out to St. Joseph, you know, the, uh, you know, the, the father of my, of, my, of my Lord here on earth, and I can ask him, hey, like, can you look out for me? Can you help me? Can you guide me to be a man like you in the same way that I would say that to a mentor or to a father, right? Um, and it took me understanding that, you know, Mary is the mother of my God, right? She is like, she's, she is a mother to me, you know, and I'm not, I'm not worshiping her. I'm, I'm, in many ways, I'm adoring her, right? But why? Because she, you know, gave birth to, to Christ. She mothered Christ. She led him. She fed him. She cared for him. She loved him. And in so many ways that we don't even, we will, we will never know, you know, she was there by his side in all of his greatest moments and his weakest moments. And she knows Christ better than anybody. And if I want to know Christ, don't I want to know the people who are closest to him as well? Right. 
the ones who got to see him every day. And um, I, my mother, uh, actually, uh, she passed away from cancer when I was uh, 18. And uh, I had a lot of conflict because I obviously miss my mother, but my, my church is telling me I can still pray for her. I can still speak to her. Right. And now I have Mother Mary, who's also a mother to me. Right. And that brought me a lot of um, comfort in dark times. That brought me a lot of hope. It instilled in me this this truth that um, that the saints are just as alive as they were when they're here on Earth. And I don't need to um, I don't need to be afraid to call upon them. Right. And uh, that was extremely powerful to me. And that kind of resolved and freed me in a lot of ways, you know. Uh, and I think that's something that the Catholic Church has is the, the, the level of tradition and the willingness and the history, you know, to show like we're all connected in this body of Christ. I think it's just is, is more reason to kind of draw me closer and closer, uh, you know. Yeah, I mean, once again, awesome and amazing stuff to go off of there. I'm curious, too, a little bit from, like, let's say from 18 to now um, mm -hmm. and sort of that faith journey, because I think it's safe to say that you seem like a pretty traditional guy from what I've seen on at least, like, uh, Instagram and everything like that. Mm -hmm. And um, I guess I'm just a little bit curious because it takes a lot, like, for me being someone who was a cradle Catholic. And I remember the first time let's say like attending Latin mass. Right. And I was like 11 mm -hmm. years old. And then my yeah. mom was like, how'd you guys like it? And I was like, um, I would never take my kids to that. And like, I literally yeah. said that <laughs> for mm -hmm. some reason, I don't know why I had to go that far. That was a little bit excessive for me to say that, but yeah. I said that and just had no, and my mom's like, really, I think it's so beautiful. And my mom didn't really push back at all. It's more like, okay, we tried that kind of thing, you know? And then, um, I don't know, as time went on and I went to Franciscan obviously, uh, which can be a very charismatic school. Um, is a very charismatic school but for me like i guess i had a very long journey and it was very much an intellectual conversion that was taking place for me um and then being able to experience um tlm and just i don't know the depth of of things like chant and some other and just you know i was yeah. exposed to more than basically like what i had been brought up which is a 5 30 youth mass on sunday and you know mm -hmm. a pretty piss poor like version of youth group and pizza and all this kind of stuff um yeah and so like i i guess i'm just curious on like what's what's that journey from 18 to now to where now you have such i mean you ought to be a pretty smart guy intellectual but there's so much to overcome that short time and then to be on top mm -hmm. of that like extremely traditional um i'm just interested no, of in that course. of course i mean dude i i think I think I'd be I'd be lying to say I didn't go through like a massive identity crisis from like 18 to now like you know tremendous uh, from converting to like my injury to like losing my mom it was like dude I literally was like what is going on <laughs> but like I was raised hearing these amazing stories of Christ hearing the intense persecution throughout throughout time that that our our people you know have endured i and i would witness the impacts uh, of the, of our faith but then i i looked around me and i said where where 
where where is this tradition where is this history that is so beautiful that is so encapsulating for me because you know aesthetics to me is is so valuable so important it's why part of the reason why i want to be an architect the philosophy of aesthetics is this is is so fulfilling to me it's like it's our ability to tap into um being made in the image of god you know and i would see this the i mean i was raised protestant but we where where are the protestant cathedrals where is notre dame right where is la sagrada familia where is you know the hagia sophia when it was catholic and it is, you know, it still is, but, um, um, you know, where, like, where are all these great signs of, of, of God's glory in this disgusting place we call the world, you know, and that put in me this desire. I just wanted to see more of God, right? And I see God in these beautiful things. And I would go to church and, Mass, I went to, you know, a very, uh, I was blessed. There's an amazing, actually, Catholic community in Yorba Linda. Um, and um, I'm trying to remember the name of it, but I would go when I was 13. So it's been a, a good 10 years since I last went. That's why I'm blanking. Um, St. Martin de Porres. Thank you. My brother saved me. St. Martin de Porres. Um, they're actually an incredible Catholic community. And it was Norris Ordo. And it was very, you know, uh, uh, they at the time they were still using a lot of like worship music, and you know they're doing lots of things um, that I know a lot of traditional Catholics, you know, kind of like dis like disdain, have disdain for. But for me, being raised in Pro like Protestant, I'm used to the, every, the, everybody standing up with their hands in their air, you know, talking about their brothers and sisters and this is and that and like you know having an actual light show and as fog machines i kid you not at my church growing up fog machines um and people like dancing and singing and i was i left i would leave being like oh uh, they, we didn't read the bible today you know like um and so for me the norris ordo was already a huge step up right and uh, what introduced me to um the tlm was again my brother he took me um, one day, um, and he said, Drake, I found a really special church. I want to take you to that. All right. And this is back 2015, maybe. And he took me to this place in Hollywood. He said, there's a church community that's renting out a space here. And, um, but just nice. Right. And to me, I told you, I grew up wearing only the gap that we, we were an exclusive. We were like, we were like more gap than Kanye West. Okay. Um, and, uh, I pull up wearing my Gap khakis and like you know a plaid uh, Gap button up, which is the, legitimately the most formal clothes I had at the time. And we walk in, and what I saw, I'll never forget. I saw the incense. I saw women veiled for the first time. I saw them like these elaborate, beautiful, formal dresses, and men. Every guy was in a suit and a tie, and I was like, I feel. So I, I feel out of place, you know, I feel very, very out of place. And I look forward and I see not only a priest, but a priest completely wearing these formal robes and just, it was cloudy in the air and the smell, what is the smell, right? And what I came to learn was that um, we had gone to this 
small church community that was known as St. Vitus, and they were part of the fraternal, um, the FSSP. And I experienced my first FSSP mass as a teenager, and I left feeling like I had actually just stepped into heaven. I had witnessed heaven on earth. You know, I, I was convinced that those women I saw weren't even women but angels, and that the men there were like, I was scared to death of them, you know. Um, and it was amazing. And then I didn't really think about it very much, and I continued to go to the Norris Ordo, but I, I believed I would watch my brother receive communion on, on the knees and on the tongue. And he looked at me, and he would say, Draco, like, he literally was like, don't ever receive on the hands. Like, receive it on the tongue. And I was like, you know, kid, still, I'm five years younger than my brother, so he's big brother to me. And I was like, yeah, okay. You know, and so I received on the day of my confirmation on the tongue, and I had continued to do so. And... Um, I am extremely blessed because at USC, you know, every college, let's be real with ourselves, is kind of a very dangerous place. Um, and a lot of the Catholic colleges that claim to be Catholic are doing things or supporting things that kind of go against our teachings. I can name a handful of Catholic universities in Los Angeles that have openly supported Planned Parenthood, uh, allowed them to speak on their campuses, um, which goes against our um, catechism. Uh, and at USC, the Caruso Catholic Center is extremely, uh, the fire of the Holy Spirit is very alive there. Um, and I was introduced to some uh, people that uh, kind of relit this fire in my heart for the faith, focused missionaries. Uh, the president of the Catholic Center, uh, one of my greatest friends, God bless him. Uh, uh, I don't know if I should name drop him or not. Um, he uh, would sit with me and we would speak and talk about the theology and the teachings of the church. And we'd ask all these questions. And I, I had uh, this focused missionary. He uh, is in the seminary now. And we would talk long conversations. And he was essentially my... Uh, uh, sugar daddy for free meals. He would convince me to come to the Bible studies and to these church events at the Catholic Center if he paid for my meals. And I would say, okay, <laughs> like I'm a poor college kid. I'll, like, what else am I going to eat? You know, like nothing, air. Um, and he would treat me to amazing meals and then just talk with me. And um, he invited me when I was a sophomore to join a handful of the young men at the at the Catholic Center to go to a special mass, but I have to dress nice. So again, I put on my best gap uniform that I could get out of my closet. And uh, I'm 20 at the time. And he takes me to this tiny little church in uh, San Fernando Valley. And I'm like, what is this place, dude? Like, where are we going? And I walk in and the sign says St. Vitus Catholic Church. And I'm like, oh, I know this place. <laughs> I am very familiar with this place. And we talked about the traditional Latin mass and we talked about um, the sacraments. We talked about tradition and reverence and just the power of the faith. And one of the things that kind of sold me to um, the Latin mass was that they offer confession during mass. To me, that was like the most amazing, incredible thing ever. I'm like, dude, are you for real? Like, I don't, you're telling me I have no excuse to not receive the Eucharist. Like, 
this is incredible. And uh, that stuck with me heavily. Um, and so in the preceding, you know, COVID happened not long after in 2020, um, my sophomore year, the same year. And it, in Los Angeles, it was probably one of the most challenging things in my entire life to not have access to the church, to not have access to communion, to not have access to confession. It was really scary, um, especially because of how um, strict people were. Um, at my university, we had uh, mask police that would walk around and pull students aside if they weren't wearing their masks outdoors. Um, and I, I felt just extremely like confused, conflicted and lost and scared. Uh, what's going on with my faith? And then the only church in all of Los Angeles to not shut down was St. Vitus. So I found my home there. Uh, I found my community. I found the traditional uh, Latin mass was a, a, a light in the time of darkness for me. Every Sunday I had it. Every day I had it, right? And I could always rely on it. And that became uh, my home parish. And then I soon found other church communities were, were standing up and be like, we're we need, we need mass. Our, our people need mass. There was St. Peter and Paul's in Wilmington, an amazing Norbertine uh, parish. They offered the traditional Latin mass. There was churches in Long Beach. There were churches in Orange County. There was St. John the Baptist. There, you know, all of these, I saw this movement towards it. And I would meet other people like me. You would expect to go to a TLM and, and, and walk into a bunch of 70, 80-year-olds. And I'm seeing people younger than me holding their children. You know, and I'm like, I'm, I'm 20, 21, and I'm meeting 19-year-olds who are married, and I'm like, what is going on? Like, this is incredible, right? And I'm getting this fullness, this tradition of the Catholic Church. I, you, you know, I, I love church hopping. I love experiencing um, the Eastern rites of the Catholic Church. You know, all of, I felt like there was, you could see, I mean, um, you can see them by their fruits, right? And I was seeing these churches that were just like, where there, when the priest would hold the Eucharist, I knew without a doubt that he believed, right? And I would look around my left and right, I knew that everybody there believed. And, and it was incredible, especially in the Eastern churches. Um, and um, it was like, it was after that I started dating my, uh, my girlfriend, God bless her. Uh, when we first started dating, she was actually Protestant as well. And uh, she very, I was very patient. I never, I, I didn't try to push my faith on her in any way. Um, I would just pray with her. I would talk about the Bible with her a lot because, you know, I also used to be Protestant. Um, and um, my, like the people, I, all my friends are, are, are Catholic, you know. And um, she slowly came around, but I will never forget when I told her, uh, hey, Catherine, I think we should, I like, you know, when we get married and have kids and stuff, I think uh, I think we should probably like only go to try at least to only go to a Latin mass. Oh my gosh! At the time, she's gonna hate me for saying this. She was not happy because uh, <laughs> she didn't have as strong as of an impression with the Latin mass upon my first time when she experienced her first. But now, oh my gosh, when I tell her I went to like you know I didn't go to my local Latin mass, she's like she's like you know. All hell breaks loose. Um, so she's wonderful and extremely holy, and I've never met anybody more 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 reverent and, and faithful than her. But um, uh, yeah, it, it was a long journey 
uh, in a short amount of time. I think that like God just put me, I think, you know, one of my friends, my closest friends, one of my closest friends is a philosopher and a composer. And he was talking about how a lot of people are actually mistaken that this narrative of Christ that exists in the Bible, the gospel, the New Testament is actually over. But he was telling me that we actually exist in the unfolding narrative is what he called it. That the story of Christ is not only alive, it's continuing. And we're, we're characters in the story. We're hobbits in the Shire. You know, we're, we're, we're on this path that God is using us to continue his legacy, you know, to shine a, a light in the darkness. There's, there's so much um, there that I just completely agree with. And I love that you said, I mean, it's been such an awesome interview up until this point because you've been able to really take things uh, just to so many different directions that have been beautiful, at least to, uh, to hear. And, um, and one of the big things that I'm taking away, well, first I'll say that TLM did the same for me. And, and when I was reading sort of the missile and I'm like actually figuring out why we do what we do in the mass and all those things just completely, I mean, spoke to me on new levels. And I was more of a political conservative before I became a traditional Catholic, but it seemed like a lot of those sort of, seeds somewhat kind of like helped me get to that point but one of the things that have really been such a blessing since i moved to arizona is the fssp so that's um they have a basically one church two parishes in phoenix and that's where i go it's about a 30 minute drive but it is worth every minute of that drive every sunday that's when i go and then we're blessed mm -hmm. to have um, a parish in, in Gilbert called St. Anne's and they actually do uh, low mass Wednesday morning and Friday morning. So that's a little bit closer for drive. Yes. So I'm able to go there, which is awesome. And um, when I was in Modesto, California, the closest FSSP was in Sacramento, which is an hour. Um, so it's a yes. little bit uh, much to expect to, to drive yeah. on a Sunday, yeah. but um, it has completely changed. And just like you said, the way that I don't have to worry about people in flip flops anymore some of these things where I like granted I should just be more focused on my relationship with Christ and, and the fact that like um, no matter what mass you're going to like Jesus is present in the Eucharist and that's what matters most but it can be very hard for me as a 22 year old that's uh, you know lacks many virtues to stay focused um, when there's so many distractions going on and like you said I mean um, going to this mass and seeing the amount of youth it's I mean this is the the parish I go to is in uh pretty ghetto part of the tempe phoenix area um it's horrific on the outside they use whatever little money they had to make it a, a nice on the inside to have like i don't even think it's real marble it's like a plastic sort of marble but it you know it gets the job done and uh the insides you know wooden pews just there's no carpet you know it's all the things that you could ask for as a parish and it's like dude they maybe have like 35 dollars to work with yet we have some of these parishes that are bringing in just absolute racks per week and for some reason can't even do away with the with the carpet inside the churches and mm -hmm. the mm -hmm. you know the velvet and all that kind of stuff and mm -hmm. um it has completely changed uh me and it's been such a joy like i for the first time i probably never really liked going to mass until about 18 years old um, and now it's not something that like, I just don't mind. It's something I look forward to and I can't wait for, um, in the Latin mass, but I will say kind of going to the clothing aspect. Cause I thought we were talking about a lot about clothing, but your stories, I think even cooler than I, I have time. We can keep this going. I, I, I do have time. <laughs> yeah. So what are the two things I think translate for both of us that I see, right? Translate from TLM, from incense, from chant, from the altar 
being right by the tabernacle, all this kind of stuff, right? I think there's mm -hmm. two things that we see. It's intentionality and it's aesthetics. And then when we're talking about Draco, the apparel, I know two things that are big for you are aesthetics and intentionality behind everything. Mm -hmm. And yes. I've said this on um, this podcast. I haven't gotten too much into it because, I mean, I don't think there's many of our listeners that really care about clothing that much. But I made comments about like, hey, our clothing deserves more than like the the Jesus, but with the Coca-Cola logo. Like we deserve more than that. In the 90s and stuff, I was cool and I get the culture for it. But today, like we have the resources to create something much better. And I'll let you talk about um, sort of, you know, the real ethos behind it and everything. But to see, um, I, I think my friend actually sent me your brand literally not too long ago. I was in, I was literally in Orange County. I was telling you, we we're on a family vacation in Orange County. And yeah. uh, we had just, I think I was just added like, um, we had visited Belmont. I mean, not Belmont, I'm sorry, the Abbey. Um, yes. The Michael's Abbey. Abbey. Yeah. And yes. over there. And um, it was awesome. And then I remember someone had sent me Draco and I was like, dude, no way. I thought my parents, my parents don't really care either, but I'm like, dude, this guy, this guy is charging the money that he needs to because he's actually putting the real effort into clothing that you would hope would be there if you want to approach something as high and as um, deep and beautiful as our faith. Like if you're trying to represent Our Lady, wherever it may be, like to do that in the way of, of handwork and all this kind of stuff. And um, mm -hmm. we can get all into all that stuff, but I'll let you get into the ethos. But for me, it was really awesome to see. Um, obviously like uh, for some people who have been watching, I just dropped my first t-shirt and there's a lot of things that I'm trying to work towards similarly, but yeah, go ahead. Talk to us about, about Draco apparel and all that. Yeah, dude. Um, well, I mean, it started off with me meeting a bunch of art, art dudes who, who are like, I'm, t I'm telling you, the most creative people I've ever met in my entire life. People who made me realize that like, people like Michelangelo are alive today. Um, and I have a friend, God bless his soul. He is um, a classical, classically trained opera major. He's all these amazing things. And we, and uh, me, him, and a friend, another friend from architecture school, uh, we're introduced to fashion and beauty from just like listening to things like Kanye West and going to a Sunday service event and feeling these article of clothing. I bought one of his sweaters and I was like, yo, what is this? Why does it feel like it? Like I thought it was going to be a cotton sweater, but that is not just a cotton sweater. This feels different. This looks different. You know, people online are selling it for thousands of dollars. Why? Why? You know, what's so special about a sweater? And I was thinking about, you know, in architecture, the word architect comes from the Latin phrase architecton. And what that means is master of form, right? And if I wanted to be an architect, I want to be able to master form. I want to be able to master space and create, right? Because I think it not only has effect on just what our eyes think looks good, but actually the community and the environment and the people who surround it, right? Now, what if I was to say, well, what if fashion is an aspect of architecture. What if the human body as a piece of form, let's say when a cathedral or a great church, needs to be dressed and corrected and expressed in such a fashion that not only uplifts you yourself, makes you feel good, but has a direct impact on the people who see you, the people that interact with you, the people that speak to you, or those who don't even at all and just look from afar, right? Because to me, fashion is architecture. Right? In the same way that I could say furniture is architecture, that drawing or graphic design or, you know, glasses are, are, are architecture. So many different things are architecture. Um, 
and the human body is no exception to this, right? Are we, are we not body, mind, and soul? Uh, and to me, built quality is everything. From my origami background, I used to make my own paper. I used to hand pick my own strands of tissue. I used to go and fill the actual fibers and I would make my methylcellulose and I would mix it and I would watch overnight as my paper came to be so I could use it, I could feel it. I could really just become one with this thing that I was creating. Now, fast forward many years and I'm telling you about these amazing friends. Why did I bring that up? These friends and I, we used to go to the fashion district in downtown Los Angeles and grab pieces of fabric. We used to literally put our money in pools and be like, guys, can we get an embroidery machine? Can we, dude, can you talk to your mom? Can you, can you please talk to your mom, dude? You know, and we would get an embroidery machine. And dude, that was like the communal machine. And we'd pass it around, pass it around, pass it around. We'd get the, like, the sewing machine. We, would, we didn't have enough money to get screen printers. So what would we do? We would literally dumpster dive grab logs of wood from uh, from the wood shop at the Arctic School and we would drill them together and we would get a screen and we would uh, staple it uh, in and then we would use that as a screen printer. We're like, dude, okay. And we'd sit there and watch like a 10, you know, 20 minute video on emulsion and how to screen print. And we'd be like, dude, we can make screen printers, right? And we came up with this, uh, Kanye West has this line, uh, had an idea, did it. And that became our like thing because I had this, um, I fell in love with architecture when I realized that your imagination, something that is a thought, can be vocalized, can be produced into a physical, real thing. You can think of something, sit down at a table, draw it. Now there's an image of it. Now you can think, okay, what are the pieces I need to put this together? I can go grab the fabric and I can cut it. I can take my favorite sweater and painstakingly rip it apart so that I know its exact shape and I could trace it over a piece of paper, put that piece of paper over a fabric, cut it out, and then sit there for a few hours and sew it. And now I have something. I have my favorite sweater, but now it's not only my favorite sweater, it's my sweater. It's mine, right? I made it. And so I'm making these pieces of clothes for myself in the same way that my friends are to tell, tell, speak to the world you know, about us wearing our architecture. But now, I, if I, like, how do I really tell people who I am, what I care about, right? A lot of people don't know this, but I actually came up with the idea to draw stained glass designs because I was having this horrible creative block. And I, my friends are geniuses, all of them, smarter than I ever could be, more creative than I ever wished to be. And um, every week they were shown clothes they made that just blew me out of the water. How could they make that? How could they think of that? And I'm going through this creative rut. I don't know what to do. I'm so stressed. I spent 10 hours designing, making things, drawing things. I can't come up with anything. I was working with this idea of an Art Lady of Guadalupe design, but it just wasn't coming out. So what do I do, right? What do I do? I, 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 had, I like was so anxious I couldn't breathe. I had to go, just go outside. I went on a walk. I'm walking around my, 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 my part of LA, my town, and next thing you know, I'm walking past my local church. And I go, okay, um, is it open? Not only is it open, there's confession going on. I get in line for confession. It's like six, seven. The sun is setting. I'm next in line of confession. And I'm blinded by something. I literally get, I get, I get light in my eyes. And I, I like, you know, I'm stunned. I look up and the sun is setting directly into the stained glass piece of Christ ascending. And I sat there and I looked at it and I was like, 
that. I, that, that, that is it. That is it. I take my phone out. I take a photo. I go in. I confess. I do my prayers. The next 20 minutes, I'm walking around this church taking a photo of every single stained glass design. I go back to my house. I stay up till like 5 a.m. drawing what I saw, recreating in my own style um, the stained glass pieces that I saw, the one that, that hit me in the eye, right? And I the next day, I wake up. I go take the, the metro um, and I, I go down to San Juan Capistrano, where one of my friends lives, the guy who's got the embroidery machine for the weekend. We go there, we have our summer sesh, and we all come together. And I use the embroidery machine for like two, three, four hours. And I took this sweater my sister gave me, this Adidas sweater from, from Christmas that she got me because I was obsessed with Connie at the time. And she was like, this is, looks just like Yeezy. Like, you'll wear this. People will think you're wearing Yeezy. This is from, like, 2007. Like, use it. I embroidered um, the Ascension of Christ onto uh, that sweater. And I was, and my friends all sat around, and they were like, whoa, dude. Dude, and I was like, I was like, yes! Like, I finally am the one that, like, I'm making them be like, oh, shoot. Like, I won this weekend, right? You know, this plate, it's like iron sharpens iron, right? You know, Christ talks in the gospel. Like, we're making each other better through this playful, like, competitive nature. And so I'm like, this is my Draco piece. And I, I would walk around USC. I'd walk around LA wearing this. I still wear it. I have it in my car right now. I, it's my favorite sweater, right? It's my first sweater. And um, I kid you not, almost every single time I wear it, somebody pulls me aside. Yo, dude. You sell this? Hey, man, where'd you get that? The old little lady walks up to me like, oh, my grandson loves clothes. Like, where can I get this? Blah, blah, blah. Some guy's like, hey, is that Kanye? Because this is back when Kanye released Jesus as King. Oh, yeah. And and I'm telling them, and I'm like, uh, I'm like, no, no, I make it. Eventually, I they start asking me, where do I get this? Do you sell this? I start saying, yeah, yeah, I, I do sell this. Like, I do sell this, actually. Um, knowing darn well I don't, right? And... Um, and next thing you know, I'm sitting there in my apartment and this is January of 2020 because I made this sweater in December of 2019. And I'm like, I, this is, I have to, I have to do this. I feel like I'm obligated to do this. I have to start making these, right? I have to start putting these out there. And I'm a funny guy. I'm, uh, when I have my idea, I have, I feel so stubborn about it. I have to, I have to see it to completion. Um. and I get really obsessive about it. And this kind of like took over my life. Um, COVID hit right after there, right after this, this, this period. And I was like, I need, I need to figure this out, right? But what I'm not realizing is I am a, a sophomore in college. I got $20 in my bank account. I got all these ideas and all these aspirations. I have a cheap breaking apart embroidery machine that's communal, right? Like but I want to make something and I'm sitting there holding my, my, my Jesus is King, uh, Sunday service, uh, like puffy print, uh, sweater. And I'm staring at it and I'm like, like what's going on? Right? Like I need, I need, I, why can't I make things that are this quality or higher quality than this? Right? Like how do, how do I do this? Right? And for the next year, the thing is, is, a lot of uh, a lot of people were like, "Oh, dude, you came out of nowhere!" Like, I just see your account. Like, "Oh, I saw this," but they don't know. Like, I, I every day, <laughs> every day for a year, I sat in this crack house little apartment that all of my friends lived in. That was extremely illegal and not built to code. Um, 
for just because we couldn't afford anything else at USC. And it's in the middle of COVID. And like, what do I do, right? Every single day, making Excel sheets, emailing people, calling companies. I spoke to, I can't even tell you how many emails, how many phone calls I made, how many visits I went to, to see people, their embroidery machines, to see uh, screen printers and how they do it. And it, I was obsessed with this because I needed to create Ascension sweaters that were better than the one I made, right? I needed to, I had to. And then I was like, I can't just, I can't just release the Ascension. I, I have to make a design of Mary. And then I made a design of Joseph. And the thing is about these designs that, cause I, I draw, I, um, I draw, I ph photograph, I edit, I take care of my marketing, I take care of my financing, I, I built my website. Um, I, the reason people, they, they ask me a lot, why is it called Draco apparel, right? And I got a lot of people that are like, you know, Draco in Latin means dragon, right? And I'm like, ah, oh, it makes me feel like crap every time. <laughs> but is Draco apparel is my apparel because everything I have to put my hands on everything, everything that people see from my Instagram to my website, to my emails, to the, this, this sweaters and the packages they come with, I do it all myself. Um, I do it all by hand. Um, and what I mean by that is at this point, I'm not necessarily like sewing every single one of my garments anymore. I have, I work with, 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 uh, local companies to help do it. And I make sure that everybody I work with, it has to be made in, in, in the U S right? It has to be U.S. grown cotton. It has to be sewn to the, these exact, um, the, the, the exact style I'm looking for, the exact cut. It has to. Um, it's got to be embroidered by some guy, the guy who um, helps me with my embroidery right now, who's, you know, got his whole set of industrial grade embroideries. I draw them and I give them to them and I get them digitized and I'm, I'm calling him on the phone. I'm talking to him every day. I'm emailing him like dozens and dozens of emails. I'm seeing the samples. I'm driving back and forth, back and forth uh, because they have to be just right. And the thing is these sweaters, I can't, they would feel disingenuous if I just reached out to some fabricator in China, had these made in a sweatshop for dime cheap and you got a sweater that I charged, I don't know, let's say hundreds of dollars for and you get the sweater that might look pretty. You wear it five, six, seven, ten times. You start washing it, starts falling apart, starts getting old, starts not starts crumpling up, starts being a trash. I can't have that, right? I'm I I found fashion, me and my friends from from Depop, from thrifting, from driving all around LA, driving to Arizona just to thrift, which has happened many times because Arizona, in my opinion, has the best thrift scene, um, and. Um, why am I wearing clothes? Why am I wearing my grandpa's clothes? And why are they still nice, right? I'm literally paying people like $60 for a sweater that was made for five bucks that lasts way longer than the $200 sweater I buy now. Why, why is that happening, right? I don't want that to happen. So I'm making sure I'm working with the best seamstresses in, in LA. And it, dude, I had to pull so many like strings just to be able to get these people to speak to me, they'd be like, we only speak, like I, I went on, it started out with me going on GoDaddy and just buying some, some uh, domains, right? And I would be like, hey, do you guys wholesale? Hey, can I work with you guys? You know, like I'm a college student. 
Like, I don't know what I'm doing. Like, can you, you know, and some people would actually get back to me. And I can't believe um, I found the people that I had this Kanye West sweater. And I was like, I need this. I need to, it needs to be on this sweater. So I, I spent weeks finding the company that made the sweaters for Kanye. I think I, I, think I know who you're talking about, but you, you keep going. You definitely do. Um, and I went and I spoke to them. And I called them on the phone and I sent them emails. And they're like, and I'm just a kid. I'm 20. I don't know anything. And I'm thinking, oh, maybe like they, I can, they can like give me a, like a wholesale license and it'd be cool or something. Like, you know, they'll help me out. And they're like, hey, um, so we need to see your California business license. You need to have a California seller's permit. Like we want to know, is this a DBA? Are you, what kind of business are you? Sole proprietorship? Are you like C-Corp? Are you this? And I'm sitting there literally like so overwhelmed. They're like, we need to see your website. We need to see your catalog. We need to see your concepts of design. And I'm like, dude, what is going on? Like, actually, what is this? Right. And I walk out, I like call my dad on the phone. And I'm like, dad, like, what do I do? My dad's like, I don't know. You need to figure it out. <laughs> you know, you need to do this. You need to, you need to go talk to the bank. You need to have like an actual business. You need to create a real business. And I'm like, this can't just be an idea. I actually have to put the work in. Right. And I had to do all these things and I teach myself all these things. And, you know, is I'm, like I said, I'm very ADHD, and so it's super hard for me to not just jump from one idea to the next. But I spent a year getting this all to work out. I had to build websites, learn how to do that, and I had to go and learn photography. And I had, you know, I wanted to do this. Um, I had to figure out my aesthetic, which is I'm still trying to learn, you know, just to make this all possible. Um, and slowly but surely, it actually came together. And I found embroiderers that were like, hey, you know, we really respect this because we're actually Catholic. And it's not off. We've never, ever had somebody reach out to us and, you know, not just have us do something for like, I don't know, like Eminem, you know. And I, and I work with, and I spoke with these people and I worked with them and I visited them and I got to know them. And I got to, I, I got to get the exact sweaters that I wanted, the exact T-shirts that I wanted. And it took work. And it took me meeting with these guys. It took me putting in week, two week, three weeks, hand drawing all of these um, designs to get them just right, going back and forth with the digitizing process, everything just to make it come alive. And uh, like now I have sweaters, I have hats, I have sweaters, I have pins. I even have, um, I'm working on right now, like lighters uh, with Our Lady on them. Yeah, that's insane. Um, that's insane. This is my newest one. I picked it up today, actually. Um, this is my... I'm so excited yeah. for this. Yeah. I'm so excited for this um, Obviously, everything, everything's made in the U.S. That's Zippo. Um, and because it, it has to be because, like, Christ... Does not Christ call us to um, strive for excellence, right? Isn't it... Dis I feel like it's disrespectful for Christ. If I feel like my vocation is leading me to this world of architecture where I see that as more than just buildings, if I am not to try to put everything into it, and I want to wear my faith. I want to show people it. Uh, most, of my, most of my products are extremely, like, statement pieces. You know, I'm, I'm working on things that aren't as in your face about it. But, like, how cool is that? How real is that, right? I want to take something that stained glasses it's physical, it's tangible. It's not just a graphic or a painting on a wall, but it's transparent. So I thought that the only way for me to represent that on a sweater was not through screen printing, but embroidery, because now embroidery adds that second element, just like stained glass does, 
right? And I had to research um, process, stained glass making, you know, I had to research screen printing, embroidery, uh, and, you know, I just released my Our Lady of Guadalupe line. Uh, took me six or eight months to make that possible, right? I'm not, I'm not, I'm not just doing drop shipping where I, you know, want to put my design and make it like now. Let's get it now because it's fast and it's quick. Like I, and the thing is, I'm a college student. So everything, I'm, I'm putting all I got <laughs> into this. You know, literally all I got into it. Yeah. Uh, and it's 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 been an incredible journey, dude. It's literally like I got to be at Seek, you know, and I got to have stand and booth at Seek, and I couldn't, dude. I got like emotional after. I was like, I cannot believe like this. A, a daydream I had, an idea I had in confession is now like I'm looking at people wearing my clothes. Like I can't even like I can't even believe this. Like it blew my mind. And it's just been like it has just been amazing because it's easy to get jaded when it's like four months in and the sweaters I wanted back in, in November still aren't here. You know? It's so stressful. But when I opened that box and I held them, I, I couldn't breathe. I spent the next three hours of my night just sitting there on my couch just looking at it. You know? It's like, dude, you know, I'm, I'm driving over stuff in my car with these orders. I drive to my garage and I'm sitting there every weekend packing them, putting them in their slips, putting my signature on things, stamping things. And it's like every time I do this, like I'm creating something that, that didn't exist at one point. You know? Yeah. I mean, dude, if I could have like handcrafted a conversation, this is probably like this is like this is the stuff. Well, obviously, I'm passionate about, and like I know we're gonna talk more, and th things will go further, and yeah, yeah. Uh, and you know, people should you know expect some some awesome things. But the thing is, is like like I said, and I always mention, I always joke about how like oh yeah, no one watches our podcast. Not it's like I, I'm not. I get like we do this for if it's just one person, right, who can take it away and we help their soul or we help them want to be and grow. And that's the whole point. It's like showing regular people who are actively just trying to live, right? We're not just, it's not, Catholics aren't just weirdos. They're not just 60 year olds or whatever it may be. Like we come in every shape and size or whatever it may be. Not like, yeah. not like, you know, uh, this is not about like, you know, body positivity and all that stuff. But this is more of like, there's different personalities, people who are passionate about different things. And I think one of the reasons, like this is probably one of the biggest reasons for PBK Perspectives is to show like what you can accomplish, what you took in terms of the depth of your faith and how you can now apply that to your passion and architecture and everything. And it's like, that's the stuff that we lost in architecture, right? Like we're talking about with most churches here um, in mm -hmm. America and how, how much we've lost the intentionality um, I didn't want to get into the mass, but there's a lot of intentionality that was lost and sort of what became our new mass. And mm -hmm. so when we've now reflected that into what we create, right? I mean, it's, it's an easy target to talk about Catholic movies being pretty awful unless Mel Gibson's behind it. And um, there's so many of these things, right? Like that's one of the biggest things I talk about is like, dude, what we are missing so much. Like one of the questions I have is what are Catholics missing, but you don't have to answer it because exactly your process shows us what we're missing. And unless mm -hmm. like each of us have that intention, because that's the intention that Connie has, it's the intention that Jay Lorenzo has, it's the intention that um, Martin Scorsese has, it's the intention that all these people have that are of the world and secular. That's what they mm -hmm. put into their craft. And that's why they're able to have such a big impact on the culture while the people mm -hmm. who have the faith and we have the fullness of truth put the intention of a fifth grader drawing their mom's Valentine's Day card, 
Like, you yeah, know, that's what I'm talking about. Like, that's the difference in it. And like, I know that we could go forever and, um, and we probably are continuing. We're going to be able to meet and all that kind of stuff later on. Yeah, um, yeah, but as yeah. we kind of, we'll, we'll wrap this up because like, I want to get to some more stuff even after the interview. So we'll kind of like, kind of uh, wind down here on the interview. Um, I have a couple things. Sure. This is one question I've been thinking about a lot. I think I have my answer, but if you could like, you know, it doesn't have to be super complex, but maybe in a few sentences or something like, what is the balance in terms of the care and responsibility, not necessarily responsibility, but the thought that should go into kind of what we wear as Catholics, right? It's hard. Um, one, we should reject consumerism. We should understand the um, obsession of really like materialism and how much that can tear your soul but also the intentionality of what you're saying, like what you wear and what that expresses to people when you see it and the aesthetics. I always like, I remember I heard someone talk about how like nobody is a Mormon because of theology, right? And that's no shade, but Mormons are generally young people. They all sort of fit, you know what I mean? They're all just kind of this attractive group of people. And when you see them at their services, you do not see anybody in a t-shirt. You're gonna see everybody dressing in a certain way. That stuff's attractive, right? In the same way that Islam's attractive, because you see people who are actually actually care about the things that they say, they're not wearing flannels at a mosque or these other things. Like it's it, there's a certain level, right? So it's a hard balance because I've been that way where I've been very passionate about clothing and realized like, hey, I got to have a proper balance here that isn't yeah. too much into it, but understanding yeah. what picking the right piece of clothing can do for a person and how much it can change. So I won't keep babbling, but if you could say like in a couple sentences or whatever. What's that balance look like for you? You know, okay. So my lovely girlfriend, Catherine, is extremely serious and passionate about modesty. Um, and I think the best way that I can put it is, you know, as Catholics, we aren't, we aren't dualists. We're not just a soul and a body. You know, we are a soul, we are a body. And if we want our soul to thrive, if we want to uplift our environment, ourselves, if we want to revere something, I think we have to show our respect not only in our prayer life, not only in our internal life, but our in our exterior life. Faith without works is dead, right? Um, and to show Christ you care and show Christ you're serious, you have to show him in every way, in every aspect about you, right? And I think a lot of people can lose that because a lot of people don't realize, wait, my soul is with my body. Or some people are like, I'm just a body. A lot of people are materialists. And so all they have is appearance. All they have is their Gucci, their Prada, their Supreme, you know, all uh, their Louis, like all that's all they got, right? And they want to show you, they want to flash this logo in your face. They mm -hmm. want to tell you like, oh, look at my watch. You know, look at my car. You know, you just listen to the music of the world. That's all it is, right? You know, I got girls, I got money, I got drugs, and I got I got clothes, right? That's like all, all they're saying, mm -hmm. right? We have, we have to be above that, right? There is a certain, there is a certain limit to what you can um I think what is right of us to to flash and to throw into people's faces, right? But also, like, the Catholic Church is eccentric and it is beautiful, you know? And uh, a lot of Protestants growing up were like, oh, man, 
Drake, like all that money the Catholic Church put into this cathedral, they could have given that to the poor, right? But Christ mm-hmm. tells us there will always be the poor, right? But how many souls have been brought to heaven because they had a place to worship Christ, right? If, if, we, if we want our churches to be more beautiful, I think we need to lift up our standards on what we think is right and holy and beautiful in accordance with the Catholic Church, which it has. You know, it has its modesty standards. It has the Marian modesty standards for men and women. And that's one thing that we actually take really seriously um, in Draco. You can go, you can look at any photo we have on our website, on our Instagram, in our emails. We will not show um, men unless they're wearing formal clothes, and we will not show women unless they're wearing dresses with our merchandise. Um, because we think it's very important if we want to create an environment for beauty that we show that there is like a level of reverence we wish to constantly maintain for Christ. Um, and it's balance. You know, at what point is my is what I'm wearing detrimenting my spirituality? And at what point am I just abandoning um, like my like, oh, it's, this is my body. You know, you can't abandon your body and you can't forget your soul, you know. And I don't know, the church, the church has spent fortunes to create a safe place where people can worship and their grandparents can worship and their grandparents grandparents can worship and your future generations can celebrate the lord and so there there is a power to 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 physical to things that are material but we can't lose ourselves to it you know yeah yeah no that's beautifully said i think i i agree with you 100 percent um and okay i'll wrap this up because i'm excited for um after interview, <laughs> just <kind Yes>. of, <laughs> um, I'll just I'll, I'll wrap up with this one. I like to ask this question, but I think this one really applies for you. Um, as we've kind of gone through this whole journey, and I think when people are leaving this, you know, for the four people that are, would, you know, listen all the way through this point, like if you haven't been inspired by that, I don't know what else to do. But let's just say we're talking to, and, and I know one day people are going to look back at this video and be like, that was an, an, a sick one. Um, but for like, let's just say we're talking to like the 18 year old, right? Like both of us started our freshman year and we thought we had this idea of like what clothing would be like, let's say we're talking to that guy. If you just had, you know, like I said, a couple of sentences, like what's your advice to that kid, to the young Miko and Draco out there that are just trying, that are still wearing their, you know, skinny jeans and uh, whatever else, ripped skinny jeans and uh, all that stuff. Oh. Um, that is a tough one. I think, I think I would start off by telling myself to put all, put almost all of my gap clothes in the dumpster. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Um, but I think I would just tell myself to be patient and if I want, if I have this idea for something, just take it one step at a time. Mm-hmm. And don't don't let this don't let the stress like consume you. If you wanna look like, you know, Versace, just take it one step at a time, right? Be patient. Cause I think that's that's one thing I know with myself is I can let the weight of an idea just completely take me over. Mm-hmm. So just stop wearing gap dude and just just be patient. Just one, one, one garment at a time. One little grail you find at a thrift shop at a time. Yeah. You know, in, in six months you're gonna have the coolest fit out of all your friends. But just, yeah. just that little belt you find, just keep it. Like, just take yeah. your time. 
Yeah. yeah. No, that's perfect. I, I would say like sort of the same thing. Um, when I started out with this, what would PBK be? It's like, sit with that. It's an awesome idea you have, but go in the chapel and just sit with that. God, is this where you're moving me? Is this where you're moving me? How can I reveal you in ways that haven't been shown before? Like those are the things. And whether that's film, whether that's photography, whether it's whatever it's going to be, marketing, whatever you're into, in some sort of creative outlet, like just take that. Like I, I know what it's like to be super passionate about something and just have to wait. But that's the, that's what it deserves. That's what God deserves. That's what your creation deserves. It deserves to wait and to fully understand the intentionality behind it. We didn't have the Latin mass in, in three years. We didn't have it in 30 years. I don't think we had it in 300 years. It took a very long time before we had what we know today as Latin mass. And there's a reason behind it. And that's why it's so beautiful. And it didn't mm-hmm. take, you know, it doesn't take three years to build a cathedral, all that kind of stuff. So, yeah. I mean, with that, you know, we're already at hour 15. For all of you who have made it this far, if any of you guys watched at all, um, I thank you guys so much for listening. Thank you, Draco, so much for being on. Please go check out what he's got, shop.draco. I'm going to have a link to all this stuff in the bio below. Like I said, maybe I'll flash some pictures in the beginning, like I said before, um, just to show you guys. Um, it's important to not only... I mean, listen to people's stories, but to support as well, like people who are going through and Drake is going through the effort to do it, um, you know, to go out and support and at the very least share, right? Give him a follow, share what he's got if, you, if you're not going to buy it. Um, and just like, let's continue to do this. You know what I mean? Like, let's, let's go kick some A. And yeah. uh, until next time, guys, uh, God's peace. <laughs>